today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Today, as we're talking to brands, as we're talking to large tech companies, what we help them understand is to actually capture this opportunity, to actually win this market, you're mm-hmm. going to have to build something meaningful. And that's going to take some of your product talent. That's going to take some of our expertise. And that might take a third party who helps you manage some of the business, but it has to start with that core of why should someone sign up for this? Why is this different? Why is this better than what I would get otherwise? Hi, I'm Zach Miller, Editor-in-Chief at Tearsheet. The following was produced by Tearsheet Studios in partnership with embedded finance platform Helix by Q2. Watch, listen, or read our conversation with Ahan Sakar, GM of Helix, where we talk about what it takes for companies to succeed in offering banking as a service today and all the important questions they must ask themselves, like how to make sure your company should even be thinking about doing banking, five core traits common to all companies that succeed in banking as a service, how to prepare for jumping into the process and be ready for the expected unknowns. And lastly, what to consider when choosing the right technology and banking partners. And we wrapped up with a sneak peek of what Helix is busy doing, and we'll be getting into the rest of the year. Hey, I'm Ahan Sarkar. I'm the general manager of Helix, uh, which is one of the largest embedded finance platforms out in the market today. And last time we spoke, I think it was around March time, background noise was a little bit different, wasn't it? The, the, the veneer is off the rose to mix two different metaphors. What, what's going on in the markets from your perspective? Yeah, I think a lot has happened, right? I think one, obviously from a macroeconomic perspective, you're seeing inflation on the rise, you're seeing spend coming down, you're seeing real GDP coming down. And obviously you're seeing the Fed hike rates more than we've seen in almost 30 years, right? In an effort to try and prevent us from going into hyperinflation, but also not curb it so much that you're completely stopping growth. And so on one hand, that's kind of making ripples out in the broader market as you see companies that have for the last five to seven years and one of the biggest bull run markets that we've seen focused on growth, right? How do I take dollars, use that to get users, use that to get dollars, so on and so forth. I think as the macroeconomic paradigm has changed, so too has the sort of company investor mindset, right? Around focusing on profitability, around cutting out the things that you don't need to do. And so on that, I think we've seen the economy slow down. We've seen that force companies to focus on efficiency and focus on profitability above all else. And then that kind of impact the strategies that a lot of firms have as they go out into the next five years thinking about how do I capture my market? How do I win this game? And so um, given those market forces, um, how's that impacting some of the people that you're speaking to? Yeah, I think honestly, you know, three, four years ago, there was kind of a, a whole bunch of, I'll call them influencers out in the space talking about how every company should build a bank account, right? Um, and I get it, right? Seven, eight years ago, nobody except for banks could build a bank account. And so as banking as a service providers like Helix popped up, it made it easier for different companies to build it. But I think one of the things that people are realizing now is just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? That's not to say that there aren't dozens of use cases across all different kinds of verticals. I mean, we've been talking about that for five years, right? But that is to say that not every company should build banking, right? It should be those for which this is a core part of their strategy, for which they have existing context about the user. You know, they can use that to make a better product, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, Zach, if you or I are going to go sign up for a new banking product, if it's the exact same as what we already had, we're probably not going to sign up for it, right? And so, if you have the ability to make something new, if you have the ability to have an advantage and to play to win, 
you should totally still go build banking. But for those that were kind of doing it as a me too, or as an afterthought, or thinking about it as a small feature in the corner of their business, as opposed to a core part of their business, I think it makes sense to take some pause and assess, you know, does it make sense for my company to do embedded finance or should I apply those focuses somewhere else that might have a longer term return for my, for my business? So totally that's all I'm saying. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just totally agree. Like, I think, um, We've, we've written about this, the sea of sameness that, you know, if all the products look the same and you're not really differentiating yourself, it's not core to what you do. Um, there isn't really great value proposition for, for a user there. So and you have to be looking at yourself and say, is, is banking something I really want to get into? For sure. And it's interesting, too, because I think there are different players in the space who are, for lack of a better phrase, looking to have their cake and eat it, too. Right. They want to launch something unique, special that uses their existing ecosystem but they're also kind of afraid that they're not going to be able to execute on it there. And so they want someone else to go build it for them. They want someone else to go manage it for them. But if you go back to kind of the, the predecessor to banking as a service, which I would say, you know, prepaid cards, white label mm -hmm. prepaid cards, et cetera, were kind of the predecessor. And you look at how did people tackle program management in the prepaid world? It was by defining a box, right? The way that you scale a business like that is you say, it is always this and it is never anything else. And you can have green, you can have red, you can have blue, but it's going to be this box because I have to hire risk people to manage it. I have to hire mm -hmm. product people to build it, et cetera. Well, in this new paradigm where one of the keys to winning is not being the same, right? You kind of can't do the traditional model of program management and build something unique, you have to pick. And so I think what you're seeing now is the companies that said, hey, I just need to get a quick path to market. I just need to launch something are kind of second guessing that strategy and saying, huh, turns out I didn't just need to launch. I needed to compete and I needed to win. So how do I rejigger what I have today to be able to win? And so today, as we're talking to brands, as we're talking to large tech companies, what we help them understand is to actually capture this opportunity, to actually win this market, you're going to have to build something meaningful. And that's going to take some of your product talent. That's going to take some of our expertise. And that might take a third party who helps you manage some of the business, but it has to start with that core of why should someone sign up for this? Why is this different? Why is this better than what I would get otherwise? So Han, I really like the way you said that just because you can build a bank account doesn't mean you should. So I, I want to, I want to pull on that. I have some questions about that. Um, I guess maybe we can dive right into exactly. Let's, let's tackle that head on. Like, I want to talk about what type of company should should do that. How, how does a company know? Like, what kind of questions should a company be asking itself? It should if it wants to get into banking. Is there a checklist or something? Yeah, I should, we should probably make a checklist. Honestly, that would probably be helpful. I guess we can start by saying, how do you know you shouldn't, and then how do you know you should? Right. Okay. If the reason you're doing this is because one of your competitors did, or because someone else did, maybe think about it a little bit more. If the reason you're doing this is because you don't have any form of monetization inside of your platform and you think this might be the quickest path to getting that, maybe think through that and make sure that your business model makes sense, right? If you are building this because you're trying to raise the next round and you're trying to show them that you're broadening your product scope, maybe think about it, right? Because again, it's not just a small feature. This is a broader part of your business. And so long story short, if you're trying to check a box, it's probably not the thing for you, right? If, however there is a core problem that you're trying to solve. If you have existing context and trust with your users, if you have a strategy for how you're going to grow that to solve more and more problems, well, that's probably right for you, right? So I guess if I were to boil it down to some of the core traits that we've seen in the last six, seven years of 
companies that have actually succeeded, like kind of cut through the noise and gotten and been successful. The first one is that their customers trust them, mm. right? Because finance isn't like a small tech product. Like your entire living is through how much money you make and how you spend that money. And that's how you continue surviving. Such so an emotional you, issue too. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. imagine, imagine if you were to go to a random company, thousand dollars in your hand, like, would you hand that thousand dollars to that company for safekeeping? Right. That's an important question that a lot of times people are forgetting, especially when you build something from scratch, building that type of trust from scratch is not easy. Right. And requires mm. historical credibility, et cetera. So number one, you know, companies like Acorns and Credit Karma and Gusto that had already built that trusting relationship with their customers had a lot more success. I think the second thing which we've talked about before is that relationship came with unique context, right? So for some of our partners, the customers that they signed on to banking, they had already known for six years, seven years, et cetera, right? And for example, if you're, a, you know, Uber, right? You know that this driver who's driven for four years and has five-star ratings is someone that you trust, even if on paper they might have $35,000 of income and that might be very volatile because of the nature of their work, right? When you think about launching a banking product, you are not launching it in isolation. You're not launching it in a world where there are no other banking products. You're launching it in a world where there are 4,000 plus banks and there are 100 plus fintech alternatives to your business. And so if you're going to convince Ahan, the Uber driver, that he should sign up for your Uber bank account, you got to use that context that you already have to make a better product for Ahan, whether that be helping Ahan skip some of the initial steps because you trust him or helping Ahan, you know, unlock rewards and utility that you know are useful to him because you know what he spends his money on. It's those things that are going to make a product more useful. So if number one is that trusting relationship, number two is going to be existing context. Number three is, and this goes back to your sea of sameness idea, right? They focus on differentiating. And one of the concepts that you and I have talked about before are like practical differentiation versus conceptual differentiation, right? Mm -hmm. Like the latter being like, hey, I did something new, but you can easily replicate it, right? So every time you make a swipe, I'll plant a tree. Well, okay, if that hook works, then the next company can go say, okay, every time you make a swipe, I'll plant a tree and I'll contract the same tree planting company. And we're going to compete against each other, but thankfully the tree planting company will do great, right? <laughs> Practical differentiation is where you say, what is the moat that I've built around my business? Why do people come to me, right? Why, why is my company special? And how do I make that moat even, even deeper, right? Prevent more people from coming in by combining it with banking, right? So, you know, we've talked about companies like Gusto, for example, who built that moat of a payroll and benefits business and then realized, wait a minute, I understand these employers and these employees better than basically anybody else. And so I can help them get free access to their cash. I can help them solve for financial wellness needs within their population. And I can actually make my payroll solution even better because now I'm offering that as a benefit. The fourth one would basically be that you have a history of building user-centric products, right? I think what we're seeing in fintech is effectively the same transition that we saw in the technology industry, right? Where it went from focus on the product and the users will come to, as Steve Jobs put it back in, what was it, 97, right? Start with the customer, <laughs> start with how you want this to work and then work backwards into the technology, right? And typically what we find is the companies that come to us and say, I want to launch a bank account, right? And then, you know, what, what do I got to do in order to make it, it work for users or be palatable for users? typically don't succeed as much as companies that start with, my customers have this problem and I want to figure out how am I going to use embedded finance to solve this problem? Because if you're doing that, 
you're meeting the market need, right? And that ties to, I think, the fifth and final thing, which is you have a clear target audience and business model, right? The, the people that came to us back in the day to say, I want to be the bank for all Americans, right? All 350 American, million Americans, excuse me have tended to not do very well because those are the yeah. types of people that have said, I want to launch investing and crypto and banking and lending. And I also want to do insurance and I also want to do mortgage. And oh, by the way, I raised a $4 million seed, right? It's like, well, you're going to have a hard time <laughs> launching all of those things and winning every single one of those. Whereas for the people like Square who said, hey, I want to start with just this one small piece of peer-to-peer payments, but I want to do peer-to-peer payments the best in the industry, right? Or um, Acorns who started with, you know, hey, I want to start with just how do I help people invest the change that they don't otherwise think about? And now that's expanded all the way through to how do I help you manage your entire life kind of on autopilot, right? So quick recap, trusting relationship, existing context, focus on differentiation, build user-centric products, and have a clear target market and business model. Don't try and be everything to everyone. So wow, you, that was that was the same. <laughs> okay, so we've got those five things. And I guess... Um, in in your discussions with potential clients, how how prepared are they when they come to have this, these conversations? Have they really thought this through? Is it is it sort of just a a, a, a product add on that we've talked about, which sounds like a losing strategy? Like, I guess, can you give a flavor for what kind of prep work they would need to do? I guess to be able to answer these questions. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I would say is that if you look from the last time we talked until now more of our buyers today are informed buyers than mm-hmm. they were a year ago, right? And, and that trend we expect to continue as people see which companies succeed, which companies fail, and how do I think about that inside of my own business, right? The, in terms of prep work, right? The first one we already talked about is understand your moat. Know what you're good at. Know who you are. Because that is what is going to make you successful. That is what you're going to capitalize on. And so if you don't understand what your moat is, start with that. And then go from there to say, how are we going to apply that in the context of banking? And the second question you kind of have to ask is, as a business, putting aside my consumer's problems, what is my business challenge that I'm trying to solve for? I'll give you a simple example. I won't name the the prospect, but there's a company that helps people buy used cars effectively, right? And they've made it really simple. So you can go to your phone, you can go buy the car. That company sells cars, right? They don't sell banking services. They sell cars. The whole point of the company is to sell cars. The problem that they have is that people go through the whole process, get to that point where it says buy a car, and then they see a $10,000 down payment or a $3,000 down payment, Mm -hmm. and then they leave, right? And then that person disappears forever. And maybe nine months from now, they actually have the money, but then, you know, they see something on Craigslist. So they see something at a dealership and they go buy the car somebody else. And so that company came to us and said, can you help me solve that problem? Like, yes, I know I can go launch a card with gas rewards. Like, I know that I could go do some crypto thing, but I don't really care about any of that stuff. What I care about is how do I keep more people in my funnel? Well, when we dug into that problem, we realized, oh, the reason they leave is because they don't have the money yet, right? And the reason they don't come back is because they don't have you front of mind. So why don't you just pilot a savings account for your down payment and say, hey, Mm. if you stay for your down payment with us, we'll give you a slight reduction on the overall cost. So then instead of dropping off, I just say, okay, I'll start saving towards this. And six months from now, I'll be able to buy a car like this. And then every two weeks I get updates. Hey, now you have this much or hey, the rate's actually gone up. So you're earning even more on your dollar. 
now I'm solving a real problem, right? Yeah. Now I'm actually trying to go after something that's, that's meaningful. So I really appreciate this framework. And it, but one of the things that strikes me is up until now, our conversation has very much been about strategy, philosophy, about whether to do this or not. I'd love to change the lens, I guess, to look a little bit more external to a company once it, as part of this conversation. And so what's next as they think about like the build by, you know, or partner, um, is that the next step? Once you figured out what am I trying to build? What's the problem I'm trying to solve for the customer? What's the problem I'm trying to solve for myself? And how am I going to, how am I going to resource it? There's two very important partnership decisions that are oftentimes related, but that are different. Mm -hmm. Who is the technology provider that I'm going to go with? And who is the bank that I'm going to go with? The first question is basically how big is my audience and how complex is my offering? Mm -hmm. If it's small and not complex, go with a provider that solves for that. If it's, you know, medium and, and sort of like medium complexity, you have a little bit more options. And then if it's large, you really only have a couple of options and you want to pick the one that is geared for what you're solving for, whether it's a small payment experience or a broader sort of digital wallet. Then the second question is, who is your bank partner going to be? And it's sort of like this choose your own adventure book, right? Where with, with some tech providers, you'll get sent to one very specific bank provider and it's do or die, right? Mm -hmm. With other tech providers, they'll say, come bring your own bank. We have an array of banks. And so when customers come to us, we say, hey, what's your long-term vision? Like, what are the products that you want to add over time? What are the challenges that your demographic has? What are the core things that are, that are important to you from a bank partner? Mm -hmm. We ask those questions because we've been through this before, right? We've seen partnerships that succeed. We've seen partnerships that failed. And ultimately, we realized that making the right marriage up front saves you so much time and hassle down the line that if you can get those two things right, there are going to be roadblocks. There are going to be things that come up, but you'll be prepped for them, right? You can adjust your product to fit your changing needs of your customer. You can work with your bank on how to roll out that next piece of functionality in a, in a compliant way. And you can be rest assured that when auditors come in and take a look at your stack, they'll feel comfortable as opposed to being worried that you might be skirting some rules or skipping a few steps. I really appreciate, Ahan, in, in your description of, of this type of choice around picking partners, you, you described it as a marriage. And yeah. uh, I thought that was pretty intuitive about some of the, the nuances and the complexities in those relationships. So... We've talked about, you know, determining whether getting into banking as a banking product is right for me. Um, we've talked about this marriage about banking partners, technology partners. What do you have any other insight, I guess, um, when you look at sort of successful launches? Um, how, how would how would a company, I guess, improve its chances to, to launching successfully? There, I think, look at what is successful um, and don't try and copy, just try and apply similar principles. And so today, if you look at who are some of the most successful players out in the space, you'll see Square, you'll see Credit Karma, you'll see Chime, you'll see, um, if you expand beyond banking, you'll see firms like Affirm, you'll see firms like uh, Klarna, et cetera, right? The first thing that all these companies did is they made it stupid simple. <laughs> if your product is complicated, it doesn't matter who your demographic is, people are not going to use it. The reason that this exists, the reason that fintech exists, is to simplify something that's historically been very complicated. The second thing is something that we already said, which is build trust into your product design. Trust is not a fixed thing. Trust is the sum of interactions that you have over time, right? If you have a bunch of negative interactions, we'll have no trust. 
if you have a bunch of positive interactions over time, we'll build trust. Mm -hmm. But that conversation doesn't stop when you launch the banking product. And if anything, it magnifies when you launch the banking product. I always love talking to Ahan because um, you're able to take very complex and deep um, and broad concepts and, and boil them down into, into simple, easy to understand like lists or frameworks. And I always learn, I always learn from you when we have these conversations. Um, in the remaining time that we have today, I'm curious, like, what are you working on for the rest of the year? I mean, you know, the markets are changing, of course, but like, what should we expect from you and Helix? What are some of your big audacious goals? For sure. The first is us finally releasing something I've been very excited about, which has been our personalizable card controls. Mm -hmm. And now that sounds about as far from sexy as anything that I could say. But the reason it's interesting is not because of what it is, but because of what it unlocks. That's what's going to take this, I would call it 2.0 of banking that's built, that's been built on banking as a service and turn it into the 3.0, the one that autonomously understands what you're doing, the one that makes recommendations and applies controls for you, the one that looks back at your past you know, transactions. And if you tell it, hey, go cancel my subscriptions, figures it out and does it for you, right? I'm excited for that in part because I'm super lazy and I want my apps to do the work for me and I don't want to do it myself. So that's one thing that you'll see coming out uh, actually in a couple of weeks. Uh, the next thing that you'll see is us pushing into business accounts, right? Mm. Over the last five, six years, I think we've transformed the way that people think about consumer banking products. And we've gotten to work with some amazing companies out there. Unfortunately, business accounts are still super manual, pretty much the same, no matter where you go. Mm -hmm. And that's in the context that more and more small businesses are popping up than ever before. And these small businesses are going to need help, especially in a recession, especially in a pandemic environment, whether that be help with cash flow, help getting access to capital, help managing their business. And those that are trying to serve them are going to want to do that, but can't do it if it's deeply unprofitable. And so we've been heads down and will be heads down through the rest of this year working on those business accounts. But that's something that we're, that we're super excited about. Uh, third, I'd say would be um, real-time payments, right? So you may have seen that we were uh, announced as part of the FedNow pilot mm -hmm. program alongside um, about a hundred or so other companies like Square and the like. And so honestly, I'm really excited about that because again, I get excited about new tools and most of fintech at some level is built on ACH arbitrage. Like how mm -hmm. do I create a settlement flow that basically abstracts the need for ACH so it doesn't take two days and I can do it instantly no matter how much pain I have? When you have real-time payments, you don't have to do that anymore. You can just transfer from one point to another. And I think that's going to change commerce. It's going to change the way people store money. It's going to change the way we send money to each other. And so we're really excited to be in that pilot program and to help define how does a directory work? How do we want to think about different consumers as endpoints in this network? Because if we do it right, it'll change the way that the economy works. Han, always great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Mm -hmm.